All right, I'm going to go ahead and pray because the quicker I get done, the quicker we can get to the lake, right? <laughs> or the quicker I can get to my couch and put my feet up. So, Father, we uh, come to you this morning. God, I pray that you would um, highlight the things that not I have to bring to the table, not things that I have to say, but, Father, the things that you have to say. I want to pray that you would uh, empower my ability to speak, God, that you would empower all of our ability to listen to you, Lord. I pray that you would do a transformative work in our hearts that we could go out here more Christ-like than we walked in here with. So two weeks, or not two weeks ago, at the beginning of June, we talked about um, how Jesus collapsed the entire Old Testament, everything about who God was, everything that was ever written about him, collapsed all of that stuff down into two phrases, to love God and love others. And there is something amazing that happens when, uh, when a teacher goes to a high school student and goes, I need you to write a paper. You ever read a paper that a high school student wrote, and it's just like, and then this person did this, and then they did this, and let me explain to you how they did this, and then this was amazing, and they just stretch that word count out, or you mess with the kerning and make the, you know, you have a five-page paper. All right, well, I'm going to mess with the word spacing, so, you know, two pages are in five pages, and it's funny that, like, well, if you could have condensed the entire Old Testament down into two phrases. Why didn't you? Because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament of like, I don't care how many bulls are here. I don't care who gave birth to who. Can we condense it down into love God and love others? Hey, Liz, could you go ahead and put up my, uh, my first slide, if you don't mind? And then after that, we looked at two different stories um, that Jesus told. One of the stories was about this uh, guy that we call the Good Samaritan. He was an unbeliever. The people at the time would know that this guy did not believe in the same God that the Jews believed in. They said it was the same thing. It would be like um, a, a Muslim guy coming up to us. They would say, yeah, we believe in the same God that you believe in. And it's like, you don't. You don't. There, there's a little bit of a difference. So the Samaritan, this unbeliever, was actually shown to be more Christ-like than the priest and the Levite of the religion that he was talking to. And that would be like me saying, hey, this Muslim imam did things better than the church in a local area. And that would sound kind of outlandish, and it sounded outlandish to the people that heard it. And then we looked in uh, Matthew 25 about how at the end of everything, Jesus is telling the story about his father judging. Everybody splits everybody up, left and right, goats and sheep. And to the sheep, to the righteous, he is welcoming them into, into their reward. It says that it was prepared for you before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. So like all the stuff that happened in the garden did not take God by surprise. He, I agree. Uh, it, it didn't surprise him. He had planned our inheritance before we were ever even here. And he said, I'm going to bring you into this reward. Why? Because you fed the people that were hungry. You gave water to those that were thirsty. You showed hospitality to the people that were in need. And he said, any time that you've ever done any of this to the least of my brothers, you've done it to me. So I want to bounce off of that, but I want to remind us, if we as a church, as people, as Christians, get love wrong, it doesn't matter what else we get right. Did you notice in those two stories and in, the, in the, um, the royal law, the love God and love others, not once did he bring up, well, if you would pray and fast for like eight years, then I'll be really happy with you. Or if you can get your doctrine down pat, man, I'd be able to really use you if you got your doctrine down pat. No, 
what he talked about was the practical demonstration of love. Now, why would Jesus focus on a practical demonstration of love over just a theoretical one? Is it important for us to get our doctrine right? Yes, it is important for us to get our doctrine right. But more importantly, is it important for us to get love right? And yeah, if we're going to have to pick one, I would say pick both. But if you have to pick one, get love right. I want to read a verse out of James. It's James uh, 2, starting in verse 14. This is not verse 14, but I'll get to that in a second. It says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but can't show it by your actions? What, uh, can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye. Have a good day. Go on your way and be well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? I want to draw attention to this. Do things happen when we pray for people? Yes. But not once have I ever prayed for someone and all of a sudden their hungry belly was filled. Hey, man, I'll be praying for you. I hope you can find a coat. James is saying that kind of faith isn't helping anybody. So is it admirable that, the, that these people are praying for each other? Yeah, it's admirable. But what would be better if they went and got a coat? How many of us have like 20,000 coats that are like, I have to like walk through a sea of coats to get to things in my, uh, in my closet. What good does that do? In verse 17, you see, faith by itself isn't enough. What an outlandish statement to find in the New Testament. Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, other people have good deeds. I've heard this. I've used this. Well, some people's spiritual gifting is like the doing of things. My spiritual gifting is I argue with people on Facebook. (laughs) That's my... That's my spiritual gifting. I argue with people on Facebook. By the way, I don't look at Facebook, and it's been one of the most amazing decisions that I've ever made for my mental health. So if you ever send me anything on Facebook, I probably won't see it. Does that mean that I don't love you? No, I love you. I just can't not go into fits of depression when I read what family members and friends post. I'm like, I will love you better when I don't know what every thought rattling around in your head is. So I love you. I just don't love Facebook. So other people have faith, other people have, or some people have faith, other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. James is kind of, I'm amazing. I'll show you by my, my faith by my good deeds. Verse 26, just as the body is dead without breath, so faith is also dead without good works. We've got to have both. See, it's really easy for us to get in here on Sunday and talk a good game. How easy is it when football season is around, how easy is it for us to be armchair quarterbacks? How many times have you ever seen people screaming at the TV, you idiot, what's going wrong with you? If I was there, I would have done a whole lot better. Right, (laughs) right. When someone hands you the ball, it changes life. It's a whole lot easier to stand up in the sidelines and scream at somebody else doing something. But the only people that are able to win a game are the ones that are out on the field. You might have the best football theory in the world, but it will not help you win a game. 
The only people that have the ability to win a game are the people that are actually on the field. So at some point in time in my life, now, again, when I preach, by the way, this is not me trying to figure out something that I can tell you to do better. This is coming out of things that the Holy Spirit is talking to me about. So when I say something for you guys, know that that first got handed down to me. So at some point in time, if I want to make a difference in life, I have got to stop fussing and get out there and make a difference. I can argue, gripe, and complain all I want, and not one bit of difference will be made in the world. All of the arguments that happen on Facebook will be forgotten about next week and not made one difference. Or I can take every bit of that emotional resource and go feed one person and have made more of a difference than making sure that you know, somebody knows something that I'm smarter than them. Because, I mean, that's really the goal, right? As long as everybody knows that I'm smarter than them and I'm more spiritual, then we can really change the world. It's ridiculous, but it's a whole lot harder to, to put that into action when someone says something dumb and it's like, well, they might, might just not know. Let me, they're just ignorant. I, I just need to fix that. I can let them know that they're dumb and they're going to thank me for it by taking the scales off of their eyes. By the way, that's not how humans work, just in case you need to know. Can I tell you something that um, God does that really frustrates me? Something amazing for a pastor to say that God does something. I'm like, I don't like this about you. There will be times that I will be like driving around, listening to music, and every once in a while, I will pray. I don't want to give the implication that every time I'm in my car, I'm praying, because probably not. Probably I'm frustrated at the person in front of me, or I'm, you know, jamming. When someone says, hey, I saw you on the road, my first thought is like, did I have my finger in my nose? Did I look like I was mean? Okay. No, no, no. You were just singing. Like, oh, thank God. Because you didn't see me uh, at, at the right time. But there will be times that I will be praying. I'll see somebody that catches my eye. I'm like, God, bless them. Or I'll be driving through Allgood or Cookville. It's like, Father, just bless our city. And invariably, his response. Have you ever like, had a hard time hearing God respond to your prayers? Well, pray this. Ask God to bless somebody else. Because invariably, he will tell me, hey, won't you bless them? No, that's not how this friendship thing works. I'm busy. I've got things that I've got to do. God, you're sitting on a chair up in heaven. You're all powerful. You know everything. You go do it. And funny enough, he never responds to me after that. Think about this. God has the resources to fix 100% of every problem that has ever existed on this planet. And he has taken that power and hidden it in us. Poor management skills, in my opinion. He has hidden that power to fix 100% of the world's problem, hidden it in us. We are all the gatekeepers of the resources of heaven. And it's hidden inside of us. But it does us absolutely no good as long as that love is caged up inside of us. So as heavy as this sounds, again, I'm not telling us that we need to be doing a better job at showing practical demonstrations of love. I'm not, I'm not trying to harp on you. I'm not trying to get you to volunteer. Like, we don't have anything else coming up. I'm not trying to drum up support for any event that we've got coming up. But what I am saying is unless we are practically demonstrating love through acts, 
physical acts, not just opinions on the internet, physical acts, the wealth of heaven's resources are locked behind a gate that we're the only ones that have a key to. But the easy thing about, I guess not the easy thing, the simple thing about this whole Christianity thing is all it takes is an act of love. And a torrent of heaven's resources get brought onto the earth. Handing out bottles of water seems like the dumbest thing in the world. But God knows more than we do. It changes things. Giving someone something to eat doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Every time that you have made a pie for somebody doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But I promise you, more, uh, the gospel is advanced more by you making an apple pie than most of the theological debates that have ever happened in Dallas Theological Seminary. All it takes is you to just get out and show a little bit of love and all of a sudden lives start getting changed. But unfortunately, the enemy will try to convince you that you have to have the answer to all of life's problems. Have you ever had someone like come talk to you about a, a struggle that they're dealing with and you're like, I don't know. Oh, what should I do? I'm, I'm just, I'm worried. I'm torn up about this. And you go, I would be too. <laughs> like, that's not really helpful. The enemy will try to convince you that you have got to have mental resources to be able to help somebody out. Nope. My grandmother would tell me, like, I'd start launching in this big, long thing. My grandmother would give me some food and go, here, eat this. You'll feel better. And then when I started gaining weight, she started giving me a hard time. I was like, you're getting a little pudgy. This is your fault. This is your fault. You're doing this to me. So you guilt trip me into eating banana pudding and chocolate pie. But it made me feel better. My grandmother's love for me was demonstrated by acts. It's not just something theoretically or theoretical that she had. The enemy will also try to convince you that you've got to pray and fast for 800 years so that you can convince the Holy Spirit to maybe be a little generous and give you a little bit of juice so that you can go out and like start pulling people out of wheelchairs. No. Tons of people pull people out of wheelchairs and their lives don't ever get transformed. Jesus healed 10 lepers and nine of them were just like, good. Miracles don't transform lives. Theology doesn't transform lives. Love transforms lives. If you show a little bit of love, it can go a long way. We have to remember that God's plan has more power than it has complexity. We overthink things all the time. We make things way too complicated. God's plan has more power than it has complexity. Sometimes we want this big, complex solution and all it, all it takes is just this little simple thing that fixes everything. Notice that when I'm talking about this, not once did I say, hey, if you start showing people love, life just gets so easy. Did you hear me say that? No. Because <laughs> when we start, start showing demonstrations of God's love to people, we get some kickback in it. Not only will you get kickback from demonic forces that are trying to resist you, there's a spiritual aspect of the things that we're doing. And when we try to, to not manipulate people, but when we're trying to help people, we will get spiritual blowback. We will also get emotional, relational blowback. Have you ever tried to help somebody that did not want your help? And they will actually fight you for that. Um, in Boy Scouts or any kind of lifeguard uh, training, you cannot save a drowning person that does not want to be saved. 
because they will try to take you down with it. So, I'm, hey, I'm trying to help. I'm getting a spiritual blowback. Hey, I'm trying to help you. You never loved me. Okay, I, I do. I'm, I'm struggling through all of your craziness in order to try to reach you, and you're screaming at me. Eat this Snickers bar. Maybe you'll stop yelling at me. See, I loved, and all of a sudden, the Snickers bar fixed everything. We get physical blowback, but it's also funny about the spiritual blowback that we will get from fellow believers that are sitting in the sidelines eating their peanuts, not doing anything. When you start doing practical things for the kingdom of God, it is amazing how many spiritual people, and they're like, well, you don't need to do it like that. You're doing all this stuff wrong. Would you like to show me how to do it? No. Okay. Well, then be quiet. So remember our whole paddling thing? If you're not helping row, please get out of my way. If you don't know which direction to turn, please pull your car off to the side of the road because I know which way I'm going. And if you're not going to help, I need you out of my way. But don't let that make you think that you're not making a difference. So what happens if we showed up at the park yesterday to hand out water and got cussed at every day? Does that mean that we're not making a difference in our community? No, it just means that we have jerks in our community, which by the way, we have some funky people in our community. That when we try to help, they do not respond in the way that they respond on a Hallmark movie. So like the way that we think as Christians, the acts of service are supposed to happen is like out of the overflow of the amazing love affair that I have with Jesus, I'm gonna give you a sandwich, stinky homeless man. And when I give you that sandwich, all of a sudden the scales are gonna drop off your eyes. You're gonna go, I'm gonna go back home to my parents. I've, you know, I'm, I'm never gonna use drugs ever again. When actual fact, most of the time, when you try to help somebody that's homeless, you get a sob story and try to, uh, that will try to emotionally manipulate you into giving more. Expect that. That's just what we do. Does that mean that you didn't do anything for the kingdom of God? No, it just means that we're fallen people. Get out there and love on somebody. And when you have loved on somebody, get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do the rest of his job. Because you can listen to what I'm saying to you, and some people will start thinking, well, is he saying that our doctrine, is not cor- or our doctrine doesn't matter? That's not what I'm saying. But also what I'm not saying is that it's all about works. Imagine someone playing a flute that knows how to play this amazing concerto, and they're just like, you know, their mouth is like over here, but their fingers are playing this beautiful melody. But unless there is the breath of life in that flute, it's a waste of time. Now, we can get out here in all good and hand out bottled water till we're blue in the face and not one thing happens. But if we obey that first law that we were talking about, if we get into a love affair with Jesus, if we love God and then allow that love to outflow from us into the community around us, it is like that breath being blown over that flute and all of a sudden power comes into handing someone a bottle of water because handing someone a bottle of water will not change their life. The love that is attached to that act of service is the thing that's going to change somebody's life. So I want to read uh, some verses out of Isaiah. It's Old Testament. Israel was doing dumb stuff again. And Isaiah says some pretty amazing things. No, 
this is the kind of fasting that I want. If we really think that we want to change the world around us, this is the kind of fast that God wants. Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those that are working for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those that need them. And do not hide from your relatives when they need help. Verse 8, then your salvation will come quickly like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here, he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry, help those that are in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will become bright as the noonday sun. So if we ever think as believers we are losing our place in our community or that the community is not listening to us, it's because they've just stopped listening to the empty words that we're telling them. If we start pairing our love for God with physical acts, practical displays of God's love for our community, all of a sudden the favor will shift and the world will start getting transformed. But sometimes it takes time. This is not, I show somebody one act of love, like here you little ingrate, here's my one act of love, start pulling your life together. No, sometimes this takes years. Sometimes this process takes decades, but it is not easy, but it is worth it. It is not easy, but it's worth it. Let's go ahead and, uh, and grab our little communion cups. We're gonna take communion today. We are going to receive communion, yes. Isaiah 58. I think we'll say it is, and if I need to make a redactment, I can. So again, all this is is a symbol of the communion of the saints. We join around one table, and we fellowship with each other. So Jesus, on the last night that he was alive, was sharing a meal with his friend, friends. One of those people that he was sharing a meal with was plotting to kill him. But that didn't change the the love that he had towards Judas. So he's sitting there and he knows exactly what's happening. And he starts passing around bread. And he tells him something really strange. He said, I want you to eat from this loaf of bread because this is my body that was broken for you which is a weird thing to say around a dinner table. So the disciples just chalked it up. Well, I guess Jesus is just being weird again. And then he passed around a cup and said, this is the new covenant that my blood is securing for you. Okay. And it wasn't until a few hours later that they were standing there after running away and leaving the Savior to die alone that they realized that Our Savior was up on a cross, having been broken because of his love for me. And we represent the cup because Jesus' blood was bled out because of his love for me. Remember when we were talking about when you try to love on somebody, sometimes they fight back? Jesus loved the world and the world killed him for it. But out of that sacrifice... God birthed an amazing family 
that from that night on, it, it grew from just 12 guys sitting or 13 guys sitting around a dinner table. Now we are a part of an entire congregation that stretches back through time and stretches forward through time. Right now, we are partnering with every saint that has gone on before, every saint that will come in after us. And the writer of Hebrews describes that, that we are now surrounded with this huge cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in the faith. It's not one little congregation out in the middle of all good. When we gather around the communion table, we are partnering with every believer that has ever existed because we are one together, the body of Christ. It's not all on your shoulders to bring about the gospel to the world. It's on the entire body to do the works that that Christ has left for us. So as we look at this bread and we look at this cup, let us not forget the sacrifice that love cost Jesus. But I also want to remind you that he did it willingly and gladly. It says that for the, for the joy that was set in front of him, Christ endured the cross. What was the joy that was set in front of Christ? You. It wasn't some big church. It wasn't some fancy steeple. You were the joy that was set in front of him. That he looked at you and he looked at the, at the cross and he said, that is a price that I will gladly pay. So, Father, we come to you today. Father, thank you that this was your plan from from the beginning. Father, thank you that you are not some angry deity that murdered your son because you were mad at us. But, Father, this was your plan to redeem, to restore, to bring us back into the family. That you, for your own sacrifice, demonstrated your love for us so that when we were yet sinners, you died for us. Father, thank you that you were the first one to lay down arms. Even though that I came into the kingdom kicking and screaming, not once have you held that against me. Father, thank you for your love and your forgiveness towards us. Lord, we lift up everything that's missing, everything that's broken about our life. Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we would be able to see the answer to our needs in our brothers and sisters that are gathered around this table with us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, that you looked at us and you looked at the cross and you gladly laid your life down if it meant that we could have a relationship. Father, we ask that you would forgive us today for taking that for granted. Lord, open up our eyes, open up our hearts, that we would become ministers of reconciliation, that Christ, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would be in us reconciling people back to you. Father, I pray that you would change us this weekend. In Jesus' name, you can go ahead and take the cup and the bread. And Paul said in Corinthians that every time we do that, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes to rescue us. Remember that this is not our home. We are bringing heaven to earth through the acts of our love, but this is ultimately not our home. We have got a better place that we are going to. So don't weary in well-doing church because I promise you we will receive a reward if we don't fate. Hang in there. And everybody have a great time at the lake. Have a great time. Go take a nap for me. Go mow your yard and uh, keep cool. You guys have an amazing uh, week.